0: You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I am so excited to uh, have a chat today with uh, Ohad Razi. He's the CEO of Clarius. We'll tell you a little bit about the company and his company in a second, but um, welcome, welcome, Mohad.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. Such a pleasure. And I uh, really love talking about healthcare innovation. So I'm, I'm very excited today.
0: Oh, well, good. That's our like my whole bag here. So as I mentioned, I'll just um, tell you, though, you know, already you are the CEO of Clarius, which has pioneered an AI-driven portable ultrasound, and uh, your goal is to sort of make medical imaging accessible everywhere. We were talking briefly before we hit record about our sort of mutual passion of uh, expanding access to healthcare, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But but I want to talk a little bit about um, what you're doing at Clarius. I want to start with you. So you're at the helm of Clarius. Uh, you're Companies' wireless scanners integrate with smartphone devices. Your company operates all over the world, and you've got a tremendous amount of experience in the digital health industry. You were former CEO at Zebra Medical, chief strategy officer at Telus Health, which is, uh, I learned, the largest digital health company in Canada. You're with McKesson and Change. It's an incredibly varied um, career. I would love to know a little bit about your journey. Why healthcare? Why healthcare innovation? Uh, how did this all begin?
1: Yeah, awesome. And uh, it really has been a journey. I guess it's the same for everyone. In many ways, it's not uh, by kind of greater design. It's often kind of a series of inflection points that drive you in different places. I actually started my tech career in the military. So I was a product manager. Uh, I'm Israeli originally. So I was a product manager in the Israeli military in the intelligence corps. And I uh, first started my tech career kind of from a company that spun out of the military, and uh, we ultimately sold that in uh, 2005. And uh, subsequent to that, I moved to Canada. My wife's a Vancouverite, so she dragged me here, (laughs) kicking and screaming at first. You know, I'd come from Tel Aviv, which is like this mecca of just passion and ambition and energy, and then I arrived in Vancouver, which of course is beautiful, but at least in 2006 when I came, it felt very sleepy. And I was always waiting for like a tsunami or an earthquake to happen. So I could say to my wife, honey, we, we tried Vancouver, but you know, the tsunami, we, we have to we move have back, to back to Tel Aviv. We got to go back. Um, but, you know, fortunately uh, we gutted it out. And, and of course now I've I, you know, been here since for uh, the last 16 years. I, I love it. And the three kids ground you. But, you know, when I moved to Vancouver through complete serendipity, I, uh, I ended up uh, at a job interview for director of product, for McKesson's Medical Imaging Group. So McKesson, uh, which is, of course, like Fortune 5, uh, you know, huge healthcare company, uh, used to have a lot of uh, software divisions as well. And one of them, the Medical Imaging Group, was headquartered in Vancouver, Mm. uh, because they had acquired a Vancouver-based company back in 2002. And um, I really got sucked into it. I had an amazing 11-year journey at McKesson, Uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, I think we had all the benefits of being part of a big corporation, you know, access to channel, capital, uh, network. But because we were in Canada and because we were such a successful business, you know, spitting off a lot of EBITDA, kind of they left us alone. So we didn't have any of like that yoke of big brother kind of dragging us down. So I felt we had all of the benefits of a big corporate without any of the downside. And then kind of through the transition to change healthcare, McKesson ultimately sold all its software businesses to change and then I uh, transitioned to, to TELUS. Um, and, and, you know, after 15 years of being a big corporate guy, which I, I never thought of myself as one, but I guess the numbers don't lie, um, I kind of felt like I got to roll up my sleeves and get back to the startup world. And and uh, I think I felt that I was so far removed from the product and from the customer. You know, I was running like a 1500 person organization at TELUS. And, just felt there's like eight layers between me and and the actual end user or, 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 or the product. And uh, joined Zebra Medical, which was an imaging AI company out of Israel, took over for the founder there. And uh, that company ultimately was sold uh, in 2021, early part of the year. And then uh, most recently, uh, just coming up to my one year anniversary at uh, Clarius, which I'll tell you more about in a second, but just wanted to... To, to pause, is does that make sense in terms of my, my yeah, background? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, you know, um, I'm interested that, that you ended up in, you started and ended up in medical imaging. Has that been, um, like, tell me about that. Is, that's the thread that has gone through all of it. What is it about that that um, is so compelling
1: for you? Yeah, I love how it's so clinical, right? That you're building products that are used by clinicians ultimately to see inside patients' bodies. It has such a profound impact. And actually, you know, one of the things that really brought me to Claris is, I think, out of all of the medical imaging modalities, ultrasound is the most amazing because it's non-ionizing, and it, it's uh, it's much cheaper than the you know most other uh, medical imaging solutions, and and therefore, like its its potential in terms of being accessible and 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 available in a variety of care settings and countries is so profound. And and that's you know, you and I chatted about this before we went on air. Um, healthcare attracts people that, you know, kind of have a very strong personal why of like why they came into this space. And uh, that's been the case with me as well. And, and it's, it's hugely motivating. And, and therefore, kind of you, you know, you're, you're in that environment, and you just want to expand the reach of what your company and your product can do. And, and I think ultrasound and medical imaging is such a great platform for leveraging technology to affect change in, in clinical care.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that strikes me about your story is that you've you've um you've been on the founder and the uh the, the founding and the founding CEO or the sorry, the founding team to the the CEO that takes over from the founder to being inside of a very large company that sort of has a division that's sort of like your own little startup. Um I love your sort of perspective on that. You know, we talked to you know, the audience of this show is a lot of a lot of startups, um, a lot of founding teams. And I just love to give sort of a picture for them of what it looks like to, to switch roles like that, either to, to move on from being the initial founder and sort of uh, hand over the reins or taking your company from internal, you know, from yourself and scaling it to a larger venture. I just, I love your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah, I think there's a few vectors maybe that we can think about. You know, one is kind of small company versus big company, and especially, you know, maybe as a founder, you know, often like as you start to grow the company, you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll bring in some big corporate experience, either as a leader to take over as CEO, or even to hire a chief commercial officer. That's often something that you headhunt from big companies, and you know, I've had really mixed results with that in terms of of hiring because often like you'll attract talent from a big company. They're saying, God, I would really love to work in an environment where, like, we have more control. You know, I'm not doing a lot of, like, make work, a lot of meetings. Like, it's more, like, content-driven. And then they come into a small company and they find out, wow, this isn't exactly for me because it's so lean. And actually, like, you're, you know, when you're in a big company, you're, you're often the coach, right? You're kind of on the sideline guiding a big army of people doing this or that. And uh, in any small company, you're a player coach, you often have to come onto the field and take, you know, and become the captain maybe on the field for a while. And so that's always kind of attention I'm sensitive to is like it can be very attractive from the outside in. uh, When you're in a big company saying, Oh, I, I know this domain so well, I just want to join a smaller company and kind of control my own destiny. And then you find out that it's maybe not quite as attractive as you thought it was, because there's so little support. It's so lean. And you have to be so sober about what that is. So I always try to be really upfront about what the small company experience is. As amazing as it is, it has its differences. And you have to really think, is that a fit for you? Uh, and then maybe another vector you touched on is kind of the founder versus the CEO. And that's such an important transitional point in uh, the lifespan, I think, of any organization. And I've also been a healthcare investor And, uh, you know, whenever I see a company that's been through that, I I say, wow, okay, they've been through a lot because a lot of the scars you kind of have to go through on your own as a founder to have the recognition to maybe say, hey, I've I've taken the company as far as I can. And uh, maybe for the next stage, the next inflection point in the company's evolution, it's a better fit to have someone in the leadership role. And I think that's such a difficult thing to say and to recognize and maybe not a fit for everyone. But like you built this thing, like your energy, your passion, your ambition carried the organization, survived all of the impossible odds that you were up against when everyone was telling you it's never going to work. You're going to fail GE or Philips or Siemens or whomever's already doing it. You're never going to win against them. And yet you did. You got it to a point where it's making sense now to hire someone from the outside. So you need a lot of trust and I think a lot of transparency and maybe also a lot of humility to make that transition very successful both ways.
0: So that's really I think that's really amazing insight for for founders who are sort of trying to imagine what their journey is going to look like, and really for giving context around how how to think about uh, the organization you're in and what you want that organization to be in the future. I am sure that you know if you set up a consultancy, you would have many, many clients asking you uh, for the kinds of insights that you've sort of earned through through your career. So now I want to get back to Clarius. So Claris was founded in 2014. From my research, it appears it continues to scale. New products, partnerships, um, big overall growth. The company's been recognized a number of times for actually market-leading growth. So I'd love to know, just if you could just share it with all of us, what's your secret? How do you do it?
1: Yeah, so we're a digital health company. We're based right here in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, as you noted, Rebecca, we're, we're on a mission to make accurate easy-to-use, and affordable ultrasound tools available to all medical professionals across a variety of of medical specialties, And, and really this applies equally to nurses in the developing world or to EMTs in an ambulance, to family doctors providing rural medicine, or surgeons performing safer, more accurate procedures. So we're really looking to expand the reach of how medical imaging can affect change. Uh, in clinical care, especially at the bedside, because uh, this product that I'm holding in my hands, our viewers, our listeners can't see, but it's the size of an iPhone. It's fully wireless, and uh, it can fit in your pocket. And so um, this is a really exciting market for us because it's so underpenetrated. You know, part of what we do is replace compact or kind of legacy compact or cart-based systems, but actually most of our growth is fueled by novice users that never had been trained on ultrasound and are now bringing it into their clinical practice for the first time. And therefore, I'd say kind of our secret to our growth is really that combination of best-in-class hardware, so image quality, form factor, uh, price point, wireless capabilities, coupled with software. Software actually, and the AI in many ways, is that secret ingredient that lowers the hurdle rate for novice users. To be able to benefit from it because if you're a nurse you're an emt you're a gp maybe you haven't been trained on ultrasound certainly not to the extent of an ultrasound tech or a radiologist or a cardiologist and therefore you're so reliant on ai to help you uh, automate part of the acquisition and to help you get perfect image quality and make it really as easy uh, to acquire ultrasound images as it is to take a, snap a picture with your smartphone
0: and so it's just the sort of uh, the sheer uh, uniqueness of this sort of very miniaturized ultrasound that has, you know, captured the attention of providers the world over. What what is you know other than its size, w- w- what is what is unique about the product?
1: Yeah, and so the again the, the innovation starts with the device, right? The size of a smartphone. It costs under thirty five hundred dollars and oh, yet wow. it's a fully fledged ultrasound system with, with a quality output that's really comparable to the cart-based systems you may have seen at the hospital. Um, you can appreciate how different this is than big old carts that get wheeled around right with all their cables and knobs and buttons. And that's really the, 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 the big advantage that is it's, it's really so powerful from a software perspective that you can help to automatically detect the anatomy or get real-time guidance on how to position the probe in order to acquire the optimal image. Uh, If you've ever seen an ultrasound image, it's actually quite difficult to acquire, right? Because it's typically used by sonographers, which is like a two-year technical degree that is solely focused on just acquiring the images that are then later interpreted by a radiologist or by a cardiologist. And with point-of-care ultrasound, it's moving from kind of this offline process to being in hand of the clinician that's performing the procedure or making the point of care diagnostic. But to be successful then you really have to make it much easier to use and that's kind of that that combination of the hardware and the software I think is what unlocks the value.
0: Yeah, so so this is what I wanted to get to because this is what I find fascinating sort of the the way that software is changing literally everything. I recently heard that in medical school students are taught around 200 diseases but there are actually like 10,000 or more diseases out there. And, you know, and, and, and you just mentioned, you know, there are ultrasounds that are, you know, can unlock information, but you have to go through special education about it. And there's this, um, uh, you know, there's these barriers that software can sort of fill. Right. And I read in a recent Forbes article, you talked about AI as a tool that um, doctors can use to sort of supplement and guide their evaluation and diagnosis. You're, you're obviously bullish on AI. Uh, I'd like to hear sort of above and beyond what you're doing at Clarius and, and the ultrasound. What, what do you think that this that AI is going to unlock for us? What is, what is an AI driven healthcare system going to help us do that we, that we can't do now?
1: Yeah, you know, there's been so much hype and buzz around AI that kind of I always feel uh, compelled to try to level set a reasonable expectation of what it does. And and I feel I've got some credibility in this because not only is AI such a big role of what we do at Clarius, but my prior company that we sold, Zebra Medical, was an imaging AI company, one of the first pioneers. And uh, we had the most FDA cleared solutions in the imaging AI space. At the time that I left, at least we had eight FDA cleared products. Um, And so I've I've kind of been through the hype cycle, but also having that hit reality to say, where can you actually drive an ROI and create measurable value? And so there's like a very famous saying around uh, kind of imaging AI, which I think is very telling to say, you know, um, imaging AI will not replace radiologists. Radiologists that use AI will replace radiologists that don't. And that Mm. I think is indicative of how I see AI playing generally in healthcare and just imaging is probably the first place that it's really being applied at scale because medical imaging has so much data that's digital that therefore you can apply uh, pattern recognition and or uh, machine learning uh, to it. But I, I think that, you know, it's more like the autopilot in a long transatlantic flight. Like uh, it's not replacing the pilot. The pilot is still there doing takeoff and landing for the really complex tasks but on the other hand, you wouldn't want the pilot to sit alone in the cockpit and fly for 12 hours because the more mundane routine tasks actually are better served by by having a, having a machine do it. And so that is, I think, principally the role that AI uh, can serve. At least today, I think over time it will continue to evolve. But, you know, to me, medicine is, is a mix of art and science. It's not one or the other. And, uh, and AI can really help with a science side. It can help with things that are measurable and quantifiable and maybe routine and and more, uh, regular and and high volume, but, but you're not going to lose the art. The art is, is the human in the loop that's helping to make a better informed decision or to do the really complex tasks that require not just routine pattern recognition, but more experience, a different set of eyes. And so like you noted that, you know, uh, um, residents or fellows coming out of medical schools, like they don't see, you know, the, the kind of the end of the amount of procedures that they see is much lower than what the AI will see. The AI is trained on perhaps millions of images. right? But on the other hand, they they, they can better integrate and better synthesize multiple sources to make informed decisions that grow with experience. And so it's more like the cyborg kind of the, combining the, the human and the machine together to kind of create the superpower as opposed to AI replacing the human.
0: Right, more as sort of augmentation, right? Which I think, which I think, even even physicians could could get humble enough to accept as as something that can help them be better, right? Be better, given that there are limitations of what you can keep, uh, unless you have a photographic memory, of course, in in your brain, and that um, and that software can actually augment your capabilities, uh, let you see additional possibilities. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be keeping a close eye on sort of AI integration into medical device products. It's one of the areas of uh, interest that my colleagues and I are, are digging into. So very, very cool. All right, I'm going to ask you to zoom out one more time. Um, I uh, I want to talk about the roller coaster that has been the last two years. So many new solutions, so very much money, so much froth, and then this year's seeming slowdown. I'd love your thoughts on whether you see uh, sort of the market right now as a challenge, as uh, as a challenge or an opportunity? Are you thinking differently about your business and business model now that economies around the world are, are changing? And um, what do you think 2023 will look like? How it will be different?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, th- those are profound questions. I-, I don't have a crystal ball to answer 2023. But you know, maybe let's talk a little bit about kind of what led us to this in the last two years. Because like you said, it's been very frothy. And I think in 2020, 2021, as we're starting to emerge out of COVID, there was uh, tremendous kind of tailwinds, especially in the investment uh, realm, right, that were kind of driving up valuations and, and momentum within digital health. I think some of it was, you know, not that well established, right? And I think that kind of, there, there, i see two factors were kind of fear of missing out by investors that were really driving up valuations and and I think creating more energy behind companies that maybe didn't have as much scale or real substance behind them as, as they did. And I think another thing that's not often talked about was the talent wars, like everybody was just like, there's this hiring frenzy of like, we got to get the best talents, like competition for AI and ML developers was insane. And, um, and that, that also provided justification for why do we need more money? And then like, as things started to slow down, kind of the tap from investors started to slow down A lot of companies looked in and said, do I really need actually all the talent that I've hired and how real is my scale and my progression? And so I think that at some level, this correction has been sobering and actually much needed because it was really lifting, you know, it was lifting valuations that weren't supported by buying behavior yet because the ROI model actually wasn't there. And I think the industry was actually moving at a pace that wasn't sustainable Relative to clinical adoption, because clinical adoption takes time. It actually takes time mm-hmm. to integrate this into workflow and really create value um, at the point of care or or otherwise in healthcare. Yeah, I think did we overcorrect?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, I think I think you, you'll know this because you've got a device that's FDA approved. But you know, I think the other thing that we're probably going to see is more focus on um, on evidence, on data, on mm. sort of actual maybe not. Maybe not even ROI, certainly revenue, but does it work, right? And there was so much money raised from, from wireframes and PowerPoint presentations that, uh, that it may not have been elevating the solutions that actually worked, right? It might, might have been elevating things that were shiny and um, really interesting, but possibly uh, not
1: viable, I agree. I think that, you know, if we look ahead, I think that that recalibration is helping because companies are thinking differently about their storytelling. They're thinking, to your point, about like proof points that it works as opposed to a really good story. And uh, and now I think the investment community is demanding that. I think it will also drive companies to focus more on profitability and actually more on unit economics. I think that's one thing that's really been lacking, especially in the medical device space i say as an investor, you can live with the fact that maybe OPEX is higher for a while because you're investing more to build out a new market, or maybe there's some R&D spend. But actually, the core economics, like gross margin, has to be there. You have to believe that ultimately this company will be profitable. And I look at a lot of med device companies, especially some of the ones that went earlier into SPACs, they're now valued less than the amount of cash they have on their balance sheet mm. because the investors are looking at them and saying, wow, I will have to fund the path to profitability, which, you know, at a gross margin of maybe 40, 50% is a very long journey. Yeah. And therefore I have to price that out. And so the positive things that I think that are coming out of this recalibration is is A, like that the price, kind of the, the talent wars are over. And I think companies are more sober, more grounded about hiring. I think they're more focused, to your point about evidence versus just kind of storytelling and building out hype. And I think that they're more... Um, aware of profitability, unit economics, and kind of building out sustainability in their businesses over time. And that's really been a guiding principle for how we built our business. And um, I think that that's, you know, companies that, that do that successfully will be able to command uh, a premium, probably not at the same valuations that we saw in the space in digital health or med device or therapeutics in 2020 and 2021. Maybe those will never come back or not for a while. But certainly, uh, I think they'll be able to get fair pricing and fair valuations.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think also, you know, ultimately, we're all in here to make patients healthier and live longer lives, um, happier lives. And, you know, effective solutions in healthcare. If there's more of those in the next two years because of the, the pressure that's been put uh, economically on these companies, uh, the better. So, okay, so thank you so much. I have loved discussing um, Clarius with you, your thoughts on the industry. I like to start, uh, or rather end these podcasts with one piece of advice that you would give to the healthcare innovators out there to help them supercharge their success this week.
1: Yeah, I would start, I always start with being problem oriented. I think that often when you're an innovator, you've got such, Uh, drive and push and such a good understanding maybe of your space that you can allow yourself to be solution oriented. You say, I've got a thing and I'm going to go find someone that can use this thing. But, um, and I'm not ruling that out, but I think that you always have to be really in tune to ultimately what is the problem you're solving. And I'm always more interested in problems than solutions because I know that we've got a great team and we'll be able to source other people and other technologies to find the best solution, but it's actually really hard to uncover the truly meaningful, profound, juicy problems that are worth solving. And that will really matter um, in the grander scheme of things like to your point of making patients live longer, happier and healthier lives. And so uh, that's my one piece of advice to innovators is like, make sure you're really thinking about the world from the outside in and uh, thinking about problems first and solutions second.
0: I love that, I love that. And also it's sort of in alignment with our move toward uh, value-based reimbursement and value-based payment really focusing on what problem you're solving for the people that you're selling this to um, is amazing, amazing advice. All right. Where can people go to learn more about Clarius and about you, Ohad?
1: Yeah, we'd love to uh, hear from you. We're at uh, www.clarius.com, C-L-A-R-I-U-S.com. We sell today to healthcare practitioners, uh, not to uh, patients. So We often get a lot of requests of like, I'm a pregnant mom. Can I uh, use uh, ultrasound to scan myself? We're not there yet. I think the FDA will get there with a patient as the intended user. But uh, certainly, uh, we'd love to hear from clinicians of all walks of life and uh, see if we can help them on their journey.
0: Amazing. All right. Well, we'll add that to the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today, Ohad. Despite the technical difficulties, which hopefully the audience will not hear (laughs) when we produce this, I wish you all the best of luck at Clarius, and I hope you do stay in touch.
1: Right on. Thanks so much, Rebecca.
0: Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon-Gwilt Law, go to nixonguiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.